start YouTube, start Twitch, start Twitter. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's one of a kind. <clears throat> All righty. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to this special edition of Lives 270, uh, brought to you by Brownsville Tech Live. And we apologize for the audio problems that we had earlier, but it seems that Microsoft decided to pull a fast one on me and decided to perform a Windows update right in the middle of my the start of my stream. So I apologize. But in the house today, we've got a special guest I am honored to have. Uh, Miss Deborah Bell, she is currently running for Cameron County GOP Chair. Deborah, welcome. Thank you for having me, Daniel. I'm honored to be here. Yes, I apologize once again, but uh, I'm going to be complaining <laughs> to Bill Gates and company here after the show. But uh, no worries, it happens to the best. It happens. Of us. It definitely happens. Technology can do certain things to us all the time. So. All righty, everybody. As I mentioned, I've got Miss Deborah Bell. She's running for <clears throat> uh, Cameron County GOP chair. I'd like to give uh, Deborah an opportunity for you to kind of introduce yourself to the viewers out there, uh, who you are, where, you, where you've where uh, you come from, what you've done, and uh, why uh, you're actually running. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Deborah Bell. Um, I am running for Cameron County GOP chair. And, you know, first of all, I just want to say I'm really excited to have this opportunity because when I started in politics about four or five years ago, 2019, I think it was, um, I was searching and searching for an avenue which to get involved. And I, there was no opportunity such as this, people interested in talking about Republican candidates running or um, anything regarding the Republican Party. So I, this is just a great opportunity and I'm glad to see movement here in um in the Rio Grande Valley um, I was born and raised in Brownsville I'm a wife a mama I have two little boys Braxton five and Kyler one um and I have um a unique perspective I think growing up here in Brownsville um I grew up on the outskirts of Brownsville um my mama's family has been here for 100 years and they farmed out along the Rio Grande River uh my father's been a police officer for the city of Brownsville for 36 years and um, I just kind of have the best of some, some of the best of both worlds. You know, I, my father was in law enforcement, my mama's family was in farming, and then I went into education. So just some interesting perspectives locally. Well, that's great. Definitely, it helps when you have people that are actually running for office that are actually local to the area. I mean, how many times have we seen uh, other candidates move from one district to another just because they've been uh, redistricted and they're afraid to lose their election. And uh, it really does help, uh, in my opinion, when you have somebody here locally, especially here in Brownsville and in Cameron County. I mean, there is no doubt that we need more of a local perspective, especially as we are growing and we definitely are growing by leaps and bounds these days. 
So um, one of the things that I wanted to kind of start off with, especially with the viewers, is try to give us a little bit of a of a synopsis of what a party county chair actually does, what they're responsible for. Uh, could you give us an idea of what, what the county chair's role is in this process? Sure, it's a great question. It's one I'm probably asked every single day because first of all, people don't even realize that you get to vote for your county chair in the state of Texas. So that's, that's been a, um, a learning curve for a lot of folks. But your county chair, whether it be Republican or Democrat, is in charge of um, administering the primary elections, getting your election judges uh, set up. Um, we also do the we work with precinct chairs, get the county executive committee set up. Um, we work on well, we don't work on. We are responsible for setting up uh, county and um, state convention, getting our delegates to state convention. There's just a variety of things. Primary elections is our big one, which includes accepting candidate applications. In my case would be for the Republican party, um, helping those candidates <clears throat> get the resources they need. And then one of my favorites is just being the voice for the Republican party locally, um, working on outreach in the, com in the community, helping people, well, not just helping people, empowering people to reach out to their elected officials to get their concerns to the right places and show them how to do that. Because what I found a lot of times is everybody has opinions, right? right? Politics plays into everything we do in our daily lives. But a lot of times they don't know how to express those opinions through the proper avenues. So I think one of the ways that a county chair can help is giving them those tools, showing them how to do public comments, how to get in touch with your candidates, and maybe even help them with some of the correct questions to ask our candidates to see, you know, are they aligned to our values? Right, right. Well, definitely, you know, one of the things I know the last election cycle, you know, there was a, uh, there was a hope that we were going to experience a, a red wave, obviously, in Cameron County. And uh, a lot of us were hopeful, right, that, you know, we were right. able to experience once and for all a red wave. I mean, I know we've had in the past, you know, Tony Garza and Carlos Gascos uh, as, uh, you know, those uh, elected on the GOP side for county judge. But beyond that, I, I don't recall, you know, anybody else uh, at the county level besides uh, them two. Uh, but definitely, it is something that I think we we definitely need to uh, make an effort is to improve the role of the two party system uh, here in Cameron County. Uh, you know, for far too long, it's been dominated primarily by the Democratic Party. And, you know, mm -hmm. one of the things, obviously, as as you mentioned, is, you know, the type of candidates that we tend to recruit to run. You know, I've seen many instances where there's candidates that claim to be, uh, you know, Republicans and they claim to be conservatives, but they don't necessarily follow the party orthodoxy or the discipline. I mean, right. you know, in other words, you know, you can't run as a conservative, in my opinion, and then embrace certain liberal causes, you know, and we've seen that we've seen people to claim to, to be to claim to be Republicans, but then they're over there vote, voting, you know, for 
um, you know, things that, you know, we as conservatives would typically not vote for, especially when it comes to traditional family values. So, I mean, I don't know if there's anything that the county chair can do to obviously weed out. <laughs> I'm not I'm not necessarily calling for that, per se, you know. Right. But, but definitely to me, it's important that we that we recruit and that we, you know, have candidates that, you know, represent, you know, the the values that the Republican Party and conservatives, you know, uh, aspire to, you know, I mean, is there any way to weed out or to discourage, you know, others to to run? I mean, well, legally, you can't tell people to run or to not <laughs> run. Right. Or I mean, right. to not run. Right. Um, and I'm not necessarily sure I want to discourage people from running, but I think right. the way this would work is we build our party, our local party, and we we constantly make sure that our values are being reflected. I think one of the things we're seeing right now is a, is a lack of leadership right. and um, the strength of the party is not at its best right now. And so I think you are going to have candidates that come in and, and try to take advantage of that. But if we have a strong local party and we empower the people and you know what, it's, it's the responsibility of the people too to police their own candidates, right? right? Ask the questions, ask the tough questions. If you truly are a Republican, then then their values should align with the Republican Party platform. Correct. And they should be able to answer those questions adequately yeah. that other fellow Republicans have. But if they're not, they're going to struggle. But right. here's the thing. The party isn't strong enough right now at the local level to empower people, to encourage people to really vet their candidates. Right. So as a result, we have candidates that maybe aren't quite aligned to what we'd like to see. Yeah. Well, you know, look, I, I mean, I don't, I'm, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I definitely believe in Ronald Reagan's big tent philosophy, <laughs> you know, no doubt about that. But, and, and right. you know, there's, there can be disagreements when it comes to, you know, certain issues, but in my opinion, when it comes to, you know, uh, the embracement of traditional family values, that's something that I, I don't think is negotiable. You know, uh, we, we can't have candidates running locally that, you know, say they're conservative, say that they're Republican, and then turn right around and vote for, you know, uh, pastel-colored crosswalks and, you know, and, you know, books, certain types of books being introduced to local school children. I mean, I just don't, I think that that's an area where it's just non-negotiable, you know? So hopefully, you know, hopefully as we move forward, you know, and as we become a stronger party that we can actually, you know, recruit candidates that, you know, represent the traditional values that the Republican Party and the conservatives have, have, uh, have been for for a long time. So um, Absolutely. And that's my hope moving forward. You know, right now we don't really have anybody out there in the community actively recruiting candidates. And so therefore it's, it's kind of like our border policy. It's just an open door. <laughs> anybody can walk through and say, Hey, I'm a Republican. I'm going to be on the ticket. I mean, right. chances are there's space for you because right now we don't, we don't really have a whole lot of, a lot of people running. I think this year we have quite a few as opposed to last year, but you want to know what's funny is I think there's 19 positions electable in Cameron County. I might be one or two off on that, but nevertheless, the number is somewhere right in that. And um, we have one elected Republican right now. One. Wow. 
So there's lots of room for improvement. Now, do you know who that one is? No, I don't. It's Constable Norman Esquivel. Well, you know, I was wondering about that because I know right. that, that the constable has been very active working with you mm -hmm. and others to, uh, especially on the cleanup, especially with the border surge and some of the right. mess that has been uh, going on with people leaving and trashing, you know, certain areas along the border up. And and I was wondering about that. I was wondering about Constable Esquivel, but uh, I wasn't quite sure whether he was a Republican or whether he was an independent, I wasn't sure. I definitely didn't think he was a Democrat. That's for sure. <laughs> but, but, you know, I was, I was wondering about that. Well, that's, that's good to know. That's definitely See, good to know. And there's plenty of room for improvement, right? Right. Definitely. Definitely. No doubt about it. Well, one lots of, of things, spaces to fill. One, one of the things that I wanted to touch on is, you know, what can we do with regards to voter outreach? You know, as you mentioned, the party is not strong right now lo uh, locally at the county level. Mm -hmm. But what can right. we do to to show uh, how compatible, you know, the GOP and conservatives are when it comes to, you know, some of the traditional Hispanic families and some of those those values? I mean, there's no doubt that you know we we as hispanics believe in the nuclear family just like most folks in this country but what can right. we do to to kind of uh you know you know make make these folks aware that you know that the gop aligns itself traditionally with with the hispanic families Sure. So I think outreach is just a big thing overall. If if you're not aware that some that there's another option, then how do you know to look for it in the in the first place, right? Right. So I think as the party, we need to be active in our community and we need to be active on social media. Let's be real, a lot of us these days get our information just by scrolling. Exactly. And if there's nothing being put out there that represent our values and our community and the other side does a good job of it, naturally they think they're going to align to the other side. And so my big, one of my big goals is if elected, I'd like to see um, our website updated consistently. And so when the first thing you do is, you know, Google Republican candidate or Republican party of Cameron County, it pops up instantly. I want to see um, a, a consistently updated calendar. We have multiple clubs here in Cameron County and, you know, it, they were not easily accessible or, searchable because there's they're they're all over the place there you know there's one in brownsville there's one in harlingen but if we had a really nice website people could find all of that in one click click on right. our calendar and have all the club meetings on there social media as well start using our social media to let people know of hey we have one two three four candidates running for this position or we have a variety of candidates we're doing candidate forums come join us and you know you can you can promote really, really well on social media. Right. It's one thing that almost all of us have in common is some platform. So right. I'd like to see us on Facebook. I'd like to see us um, Twitter, I guess, is where all the po political stuff is. I can't say that a lot of people locally. I don't know how big <laughs> how big the locals are into Twitter, but I know everybody has Facebook. I don't really think I've met anybody that doesn't have Facebook. Right. And then Instagram is another big platform. But if we start reaching out on all of those platforms, and then, of course, the real thing is face-to-face -face in our communities. Right. We have precinct chairs for a reason. Right. Those precinct chairs, we have our county divided up into precincts. It's a large county. Um, 
And those precinct chairs are in charge of the outreach for that particular area. No one person can do this alone. Right. It takes all of us working together. And I think, I think that's one of our biggest issues right now is that we haven't been collectively using our voice for outreach. We haven't been collectively using our voice to let our officials know that we want our values reflected too. Right. Well, that's something that I've, I've argued quite a bit when it comes to social media. I mean, I'm a, I live on social media, you know, 24 seven, I broadcast to like (laughs) social media platforms and definitely, you know, I believe that, you know, we have to go beyond traditional media. I mean, for example, you know, podcasts, you know, we give our candidates 45, an hour, maybe more, you know, exposure, you know, the local news news station is only going to give you 30 seconds and you can't get your message out in 30 seconds. And it's always going to be the worst 30 seconds for Republicans. I'm just going to tell you that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the things I think is that we also have a younger generation out there that obviously is more in in tune to TikTok and um, some of what I call (laughs) the the, uh, click and swipe uh, uh, routine. And, and these are, these are younger folks that typically, you know, they, they look at a video for 30 seconds and they move on. And right. I will say that, you know, Vivek has done a, a fabulous job on TikTok with regards to, uh, you know, putting out videos out there. You know, I know he's gotten yeah. a lot of criticism from a few others with regards to that, but the reality of it is that's what our young folks are, are using right now. In fact, my own insights data, you know, that I that I look at and I look at it every single every single time I have a podcast is I'm always measuring, you know, the age categories and whether they're male or <clears> female. <throat> and what I tend to notice is is that traditional social media such as Facebook mm-hmm. and YouTube, those numbers um when you look at the 18 to 25 category, they're low because they're not on those right. platforms. They're on they're they're on the other platform. So we're trying to find a way to get our to get the messages that we're trying to put out within 30 seconds or less. It's not a very easy way to do it, but I think we we definitely need to uh leverage those newer technologies in social media, you know, when it comes to this view and swipe generation that I talk about all the time, you know. The young folks are on TikTok. The parents are on Facebook, you know. Right. No, and I think, you know, I just spent two, three days in Iowa at a Run Gen Z conference. Now, I don't necessarily quite fit into the Run Gen Z or the Gen Z um, uh, category. I think I'm more of a millennial. But nevertheless, they work. That's the founder of Run Gen Z is a Gen Z. And so... um, they, they work with people 18 to about 35, I think 30. And, um, one of the things we talked about was this very issue is the average, I believe the average voting age for a Republican is 55. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 The whole room and you're talking. And so when they said that in a room of 18 to, I don't know, I think the oldest was maybe 35 there at the actual conference. Um, everybody said, Whoa. Because obviously we're all really involved, right? So we look around and think, oh man, you know, the other 25 year old, whatever is, is voting too, right? But that's not the case. So one of the things we were discussing, well, how do we, how do we outreach? How do we, um, 
how do we reach this generation? And it has to do somewhat with your messaging and then, you know, using the platforms that are trending at the moment. Exactly. So TikTok is one of them and I'll be the first to admit I don't have TikTok. Yeah. I don't. I have Instagram. I have Twitter. I have Facebook, but I don't have TikTok and I have Snapchat, but even that, I mean, I don't really see a whole lot of politics on Snapchat. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, I, when I look at our internal insights data across the, uh, the whole media group, because it's just not politics that we cover, as you know, we, we have a few sports shows out there and we cover SpaceX quite a bit, but you're uh-huh. right, that demographic is still up there, you know, the 45 to the 55 year old category. Yeah. And, and I was telling somebody the other day, what's wrong with young people today? Don't, aren't they interested in politics? Aren't they interested in, in sports out of all things sports? You know, I mean, how could you not be interested in the playoffs, you know? And I know, that, I mean, I think sense, one of the main things you know? we, we talked about was messaging. Yeah. Yeah. The way we message is, has got to change a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We need to we need to find a way to to attract the uh, you know the younger voters out there. I mean, definitely. You know, we've we've you know been told that you know the GOP tends to be country clubberish, so to speak. No. You know, so you know, I don't know anybody that belongs to a country club these days anymore. But I guess that used to be the old term. I don't know. See, right there, we got a problem with messaging already. See, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we're no gonna have to think of a. Another catchphrase, I guess, for the GOP. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about some bread and butter issues. Um, sure. One of the things that I know that you've talked about is the immigration surge. And I know that at least since December, it's one of those areas that I've been covering quite a bit with regards mm-hmm. to the surge in immigration. Uh, I believe that last month there was a record number of migrants actually crossing the border, I think up to 10,000 I don't know if that was a monthly figure or a weekly figure. I can't remember what the statistics showed, but there definitely is a border problem. And there's been a border problem for quite some time. And I know you've been involved in in some of the cleanup efforts. Now, I will say that, you know, this issue is is something that I'm very familiar with. I, I, I will admit that I was a government contractor for a while. Um, mm-hmm. I did deal with the uh, migrant situation, especially the undocumented children coming across mm-hmm. the border. Um, so I will say that I was involved, not necessarily involved in the handling of of those uh, of those folks, but uh, mm-hmm. I was more on a technology side. But there definitely is a problem, and. I'm not necessarily sure that anybody locally wants to admit that there's a problem or even talk about it. Uh, uh, I mean, what's what's going on? I mean, you know, is the is there a concern out there? Because obviously it doesn't appear that the the, some of the local uh, the local politicians even want to talk about it. (laughs) No. And this was the issue we ran into in May when when some of this stuff really amped up. the first, I think it's really interesting because the first time I saw it was on a Brownsville PD Facebook live stream. Yeah. And that night they had their PR officer out there and he, he was live. It was about, I don't know, 10 30, 11 o'clock at night, I think. And they'd had about 2000 people cross. Yeah. And I couldn't find it anywhere, but Brownsville PD live. Yeah. And I thought this is, this is serious. I mean, yeah. how do you just have 2000 people come across? 
in one section of the U.S. in just a matter of a couple hours. Like that's insane. So I got to thinking about it and I, um, I went out there two or three days later to see it for myself. And you know what, Daniel, nobody else was there. Yeah. I went live on Facebook. Nobody else was there. Where are the news sources? There was one news source there, actually. It was yeah. Fox News. Yeah. And they said, what are you doing out here? I'm walking around live on, on my phone and I have my little one-year-old with me. I said, well, what are, what are you doing here? And I said, I live here. I live, I grew up in the Southmost area. Like I live here. I want to see this for myself. Yeah. And I asked them, I said, how long have y'all been here? And they said, oh, we've been here about four weeks. Yeah. They have their spot. They called it the Fox News spot. And they'd been camped out there watching everything. But, you know, part of the issue is is that nobody's covering it and nobody wants to talk about it. You know, I went to that. I'm going to refer to that Gen Z conference again in Iowa. And we we paired up with a bunch of people that were also from Texas and but they're from the Dallas area. And a lot of them knew about it, but didn't really know the details. Is it really as bad as they say? What is it like? I mean, do people just walk across? There's definitely a lack of understanding of what it's real what it really is happening here at the border once again messaging the messaging right our local officials don't want to admit it they don't want to talk about it they try to cover it up and i can assure you that they are trying to cover it up yeah well there's no and i think it's really interesting though because a lot of our local locals like city commissioners and whatnot have businesses in downtown brownsville and that's what's directly being affected i went and walked through the streets in may and people sleeping on the sidewalks I mean, trash everywhere. Exactly. They're panhandling because, you know, they come across with these expectations of they're going to be taken care of and there's just too many to take care of. It's truly a humanitarian crisis. It's really sad to see because there's no plan for them. Right. And that in and of itself is cruel to bring all these people over and have no plan for them. Well, I can tell you firsthand that, you know, there is no understanding out there, not just at a local level, but at a national mm-hmm. level. If the American people understood the millions of dollars that are being spent each and every day to clothe and house um, these individuals coming across, I can tell you from personal experience the amount of just computer hardware that I was putting out there at some of these um what we termed at the time shelters or compounds. We're talking laptops, oh. cell phones for every employee, you know, that that was employed by by one of these facilities. We're talking about meals and medical care that had to be provided to each to each of these children. And by the way, I was on the front lines during the COVID pandemic. I mean, there were some instances where even my own employees, we didn't even have the proper PPE to actually go into some of these places because, you know, we had, you know, Wi-Fi antennas go out and all kinds of things happen. And my employees had to go out there and, and deal with that. But there was million, there's millions of dollars being spent each and every day. Delta Airlines is the biggest benefactor of all these migrants that are being flown out to all sorts of places around the country. And people don't realize that that's all being paid for through their tax dollars. But you know, one of the reasons that I think the local politicians are not wanting to talk about it is because 
some of them are actually making money out of this multi-million dollar industry. I can tell you that there are former a former Texas state senator, a former Texas state representative, and a current Texas represent, state representative who have been benefactors uh, one way or the other by this multi-billion dollar industry that's been going on for such a long time. But the American people don't realize the millions of dollars that are being spent. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's insane at this point. Yeah. Um, and, and there's no doubt, you know, I flew Delta this past week and right in front of me were about 10 um, immigrant children being flown all boys. Yeah. And you so, know yeah, what? I mean, to it's, speak to that, yeah. I Somebody mean, has to pay for that. Yeah. I mean, it's no fault of their own. I mean, <laughs> no, I'm not blaming. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. I mean, they're children. In fact, two of the young boys really struck me as looking absolutely miserable. And my heart went out to them. And I thought, this is not right. Where are these children even going? Do they even know where they're going? Well, that's back, what I wondered. Back when, when I was working as a contractor, I know that there was efforts made to uh, through the office of, um, uh, what is it, uh, ORR, it's called, it's uh, Refugee, I can't remember what the other acronym is. But anyway, th there was efforts to find the relatives of some of these kids that were, that were, um, that that were coming over. But since the Biden administration came on board, it appears that they're just not being released to relatives. They're they're being released to sponsors, and sponsors can be anybody. So there's some statistics out there that are saying that there have been 85,000 releases, and the majority of those kids have been pretty much let loose on the streets, and God knows what has happened to them. I mean, they're they, lost children. There appears to be a huge child trafficking situation going on you know that's scary and you talked about somebody's making money off this they're making money's off this in the worst way did you ever see the movie sound of freedom i have not seen it but i hope to soon but i kind of kind of shied away from it because of the fact that you know i personally saw these some of these kids coming across first you need to see it daniel it 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 will not disappoint yeah. if i could watch it anybody could watch it well i am I'm very sensitive to movies yeah. and I made myself watch this one and I don't regret it for a moment because I think it empowered me so much more that to realize somebody needs to speak up yeah. somebody needs to speak up and I'm happy I'm happy to speak up and I'm happy to talk to officials because it was really alarming in May when I sat there and listened to the mayor and city commissioners say well we're not keeping these immigrants here they're being shipped off we're busing them off to their sponsors okay what does that mean like whoever can pay the most get somebody it's it's a really horrible thought it is a who are these thought. sponsors how do you sign up to to sponsor a child or sponsor people or how does that work yeah yeah i mean well one of the things that i wanted to kind of demonstrate here a little bit and we're going to flip over to our virtual theater screen and pop in our virtual ipad one of the things that was a little bit shocking to me is Apparently, there's organizations out there uh, globally that are actually uh, providing maps, maps to some of these migrant groups on the best crossing points. Uh, and, 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 and it's incredible. And we're not and we're talking 
organizations uh, such as Doctors uh, Without Borders, uh, mm-hmm. the UN. Uh, I've even heard the American Red Cross. Uh, you know, they're literally being given maps. I don't know if I can zoom in to one of these or not. I tried the last time. But uh, basically, this is one type of map that has been distributed to uh, to some of these groups. Uh, there's also listings of the best routes to get to. Here's, mm-hmm. here's the map distributed mm-hmm. by the Red Cross. You know, it, 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 yeah. is, it, it, it's, it's totally incredible, you know. So I'm going to pull this back to the local party, right? Because I look at this and I think this is too big for any one person to handle on their own. But this is where collective voices come in. This is where collective voices have the opportunity to really, truly make a difference. One of the state senators in Iowa spoke to us this weekend, and he talked about how one time he had this project. They had a five-year goal, and this project was at the end of that five-year goal, and the people really wanted this project done. And he said, well, hey, I'm sorry. It's already been voted on. It's, it's at the end of the five-year. And they were just starting the five-year track. But after some frustration from the locals, um, somebody went and they got... 2000 signatures Mm. to get it moved up that requires unity working together and people identifying a problem and working and holding their uh, elected officials accountable the 2000 signatures got that thing moved up to the first year that project yeah so this is where i think having a strong local party is important i as a county chair i don't get to vote on legislation i don't but i can be active in the community i can let you know that you know, as Republicans, these are our issues. This is what our platform says. And these are what our elected officials are not doing or doing at the time. And um, I, um, I think it's really important that we come together and we make our voices heard. Right. And, you know, case in point with, with Judge Trevino, he was not going to give Constable Esquivel the $15,000, yeah. but it created an outrage amongst his constituents and ultimately what should have been of no dispute was given to Norman. Right. Um, well, I have a things- text right now that says we're not live. Are we live? Yeah, we're live. Okay. Okay. What probably happened is that the original invitation switched. And so we, we should be live. Let me just double check real quick. <clears throat> yeah, we're live. Okay. Yeah, we're live. It's just that they probably, uh, when we had to, we we had to reboot. Uh, it was the old invitation, so there's actually a new link. Uh, we'll actually provide that after the show as well. Well, one of the things that I know that I mentioned um, about a month ago or so, uh, one of my viewers uh, sent me a link uh, with regards to the Brownsville Airport. As you know, you know we there's billions of dollars that were spent to build a brand new terminal. And one of the things that uh, this uh, individual sent me was a video. And what it was, it was migrants that were actually being flown out of the Brownsville airport. And by the way, it's just not the Brownsville airport. There's a, there's a whole lot of activity going at Valley International and Harlingen, as well as in McAllen and in some of the other airports around the state. Right. But what really caught my attention was the fact that you had these migrants out there that appeared to be homeless for the most part. 
And they were basically sleeping in front of the airport, stomping on landscaping. And I thought, whoa, wait a second. We spent all these millions of dollars on landscaping and trying to make this facility, which is, by the way, is one of the nicest facilities south of Corpus, Corpus Christi. And we've got people that are not respecting the, the facility nor the landscaping, and nobody's doing anything about it. So I, I put a post out there. And sure enough, I had the airport officials and the city respond back. And I wasn't trying to be mean, but, you know, it it once again, you know, was this thing about folks coming over and basically trashing the place up, you know, just like they All did right. when, you know, Constable Esquivel and yourself were out there trying to clean up the mess that had happened, you know, with some of the border crossings. I mean, you know. I, w I mean, I wouldn't allow anybody to come into my yard and trash the place up because they felt like it, you know? Right. There has to be some pride somewhere, you know? Right. But there, there's just, there's too many people coming across to properly police everybody. And that's right. one of our biggest issues. You know, it's, I think it's interesting because I think we have a brand new airport director, don't we? I don't so, know if one has been hired. We, we did. Okay. Uh, well, I know we were we, looking for one. I thought right. we had hired one, but maybe I'm misinformed on that. Um, yeah or premature thinking we had hired. But nevertheless, I've heard that same thing. And part of the reason that they're sleeping outside, I believe, is because the airport shuts down and everybody is kicked out. Right. And so they, that, that is what I have heard. I've had multiple people come to me and say, hey, have you heard about this? And I said, well, no, I haven't. I flew out of, um, I flew out of Harlingen. I haven't been in the Brownsville airport for probably about a year. Right. But I have had multiple people reach out and some people that actually work in the area and said, this is something you need to drive by and see. Oh, yeah. And I it's mean, mis it's mismanagement. Our local elected officials are just, they're in over their heads. Yeah, They don't know how to handle this, but yet they love their platform. Right. Their Democrat platform that has created all this. Well, you know, and, there's another example downtown. You know, we built that nice parking garage. Well, we're not. Using oh, it don't get me started on that one, we're Daniel. Not using it, we're not using it for parking. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> no, we're contracting with the federal government for thousands and thousands of dollars a month for exactly. processing. Exactly. And you don't even get to see what your money's being used for. They've got all the privacy, um, privacy. I don't know what you call those, but you know what I'm talking about. They put them all up and you can't see anything. Um, well, well, one you drive by it. That, you know, a lot of people, like I said, you know, a lot of people don't realize the millions of dollars are being spent. I can tell you firsthand mm -hmm. that, that one of the things that I was responsible for was Wi-Fi connectivity in, in some of these compounds and, you know, the, dis the distribution of hardware. And one of the things that I uh, noticed firsthand and everybody around town noticed firsthand is when the COVID pandemic hit and kids had to had to basically uh you know do remote learning you mm -hmm. had kids lined up at local high schools with their parents trying to get a wi-fi uh little box so that they could connect via the internet and at the same time the federal government is over there funding these compounds and installing wi-fi and chromebooks for kids that are not even from here so they're taking advantage of technology that our own kids here locally don't have access to and struggled, especially during the pandemic. And, and I believe that's wrong. I believe that's right. completely wrong when our local kids could not get basic internet connectivity. And yet we had basic internet connectivity and hardware at some of these compounds. 
that is just absolutely wrong and people would be just alarmed to even know that you know right but see that's the thing it's just a lot of people a lot of americans don't really it comes back to just misinformation not maybe some of them don't want to know Right. what's really truly going on and i think yeah and i keep bringing <laughs> it back to locally because all of us live here we all see it right if we all used our voices to speak up and say hey this isn't right look at what's happening hundreds and hundreds of us there's thousands of us right right let's just say we got a couple hundred people to start speaking up yeah. to start telling the stories to start sending you know emails petitions calling the news stations and saying i want you to report on this yeah. And report it truthfully. What's really, truly happening here. Right. Right. Tell the city of Brownsville to stop fudging numbers right. when it comes to crossings. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one of the other areas. It, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, one of the areas, other areas I want to talk about a little bit was mm -hmm. um, Bidenomics and how it has affected people here locally. I can tell you firsthand that even though inflation is down, even though you know gas gasoline is is down it sure doesn't feel like it uh you know i go to the grocery store you know every week or every other week and i seem to come out of there with a three or four hundred dollar bill and you know filling up our gas tank uh just doesn't appear you know to take me much of anywhere these days and i you know you know uh, how do you think uh, do you think once again, do you think messaging, uh, you know, do people really know how serious this economy, uh, you know, how bad it is? And, you know, uh, I, I just think it, we've got a messaging issue there as well. At some point, I, I, at the, I mean, not at some point, at this point, I don't think anybody um, is out of touch with the fact that this is bad. It it's touched every aspect of your life, you know, whether right. it be to buy groceries, to eat out, to travel, um, you name it even doctor's visits. I mean, oh, yeah. every single thing has gone up at some point. Um, and once again, I have, I have a unique uh, perspective on this. Obviously this is by our policymakers up in Washington. Right. But at right. the same time, I'm going to take you back to local because that's where the passion is. And that's where I think we can really, truly make a difference. This is our biggest sphere of influence. Right. Right. And a lot of these people that are up there making these decisions that are directly affecting our pocketbook right now started at a local level. Right. So we have big primary coming up with our, our county candidates and so on and so forth. Everybody gets super stoked to go out and vote for the president, which is great, which yeah. is great. I also vote for our president. Right. Um, but never underestimate the importance of down ballot voting. Absolutely. Because a lot of these people get started here. Joe yep. Biden didn't start as president. Right. And right. so we need to make sure that we're vetting at the lowest uh, lowest office possible. I mean, whether that be, and I, I say lowest, I shouldn't even say that because every single office is important. So at the most intimate of, of positions, whether it be your, your ISD school board, whether it be your county commissioner, your city commissioner, your alderman, whatever it may be, you need to make personal contact with those candidates and ask them questions. Ask them these tough questions. Are they happy with the way the economy is right now? What do they think the solutions are? Yeah. Well, and make public comments. We're not going to get anywhere until we step out of our comfort zone. Show up at your city commission meetings. It's a lot, most of these time, uh, nowadays, you can, you can log in virtually and do this. Right. 
Well, definitely, you know, we've got a congressional race that's pretty important here. You know, right. District 34, we have uh, several candidates. I've had one of one candidate uh, appear last week. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, I've made a few invitations, but a lot of people, you know, need need to understand that, you know, our congressional district is pretty important. And absolutely you know, some of the some of the policies that uh are affected are by our local, you know, congressional uh, representatives, uh, the monies that come in, the funding that comes in. Um, so it's, pr- it's pretty important. I mean, it's, it's not enough to just be happy with somebody that switched, uh, you know, districts for this, for a fear of losing an election, you know? Um, right. And, and so I, I think a lot of people don't realize that, that, you know, that, it matters who you elect, especially, you know, if if they've come across as being nothing more than a carpetbagger. And excuse the term, but that's exactly what I call candidates that jump ship. Mm-hmm. You know, are- well, and I think even at the congressional level, I still consider it a local race. I mean, yeah. I've seen I've I've seen Vicente Gonzalez at, at the Rancho Viejo country club or whatever you know these people are still here in our midst where we can reach out make contact and ask questions right i've seen i I mean i've seen all of our candidates in places right normal places not at candidate forums you know like an heb or walmart or a restaurant this is your opportunity to to ask them the tough questions and to really truly vet them i mean congressional the cd34 race i think spans five counties right but they alternate they're around this area all the time right it's still probably one of it, it's still a very intimate race to where you can reach out and talk to them probably face to face if you really truly wanted to right. and yeah they do have a lot of responsibility when they go to washington to vote so this is your chance yeah look you get everybody just got their new um i wish i would have brought mine with me so i could hold it up but their new voter id in the mail or their voter right. card right look at that go through and look at all of the people that are represent you Find out how you can reach out to them. And if you can't do it, reach out to me. I'll get you their email and their phone number. Right. And see, that's why it's super important to have an active county chair. If you have a really serious question or a personal story that you really want your candidates to listen to, reach out. And if you can't, let the county chair help you figure out how to do that. Yeah. Candidate forums, all of this stuff. So we can ask these tough questions. Bidenomics has affected all of us. Right. But until... The people that represent us know how much, how upset we are. It's not going to matter. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and let's not get started on property taxes. That's been a, a hot Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's oh, been a hot Once top. again. Yeah. Once again. The power you know. of the collective voice. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, that's another topic altogether. But, you know, one of the things that I've, As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, when it comes to supporting candidates that, you know, support traditional family values, there's no there's no doubt that there is an assault on the traditional family today, Mm -hmm. not only at a national level. I mean, we've seen that, but we've also seen how the culture war has actually come home. It's actually. Oh, yeah. It's at your door knocking. It's at your door knocking. And. You know, I never thought that I would see the culture war here locally being fought out. Uh, it's yep. basically a battle for the heart and soul of our children today. And it, and it seems to, and the family seems to be under assault. And, you know, I know that for the most part, you know, city elections are nonpartisan, but 
there's definitely agendas being pushed. There's no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, you're right. We have to, we have to do a better job at messaging and we have to do a better job of finding out what some of these folks actually represent, you know? Exactly. I'm, I'm hundred percent with you on that. Um, Your city elections are nonpartisan, but that doesn't mean you can't reach out and ask because moral issues are, are critical and how they, how they would vote or how they believe transcends everything they do. Right. You know, integrity in and of itself is a major issue we're seeing here locally. Right. And, you know, we don't have to be, we don't have to austenize Brownsville. You know, sure. There's, there's, there seems to be a, a, some kind of push, you know, lately that we have to austenize Brownsville and we don't have to austenize Brownsville. You know, oh, you know what? Like three years ago, Trey Mendez, our, our former mayor, had a quote in a city commission meeting and I wrote it down and it said, um, I am working to make Brownsville a progressive city. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, well, that agenda is open and in plain sight. Everybody knows it. I mean, what trans transpired in June with our sidewalks was just despicable. Right. Yeah. Taxpayer no, monies. Well, with no, no notice whatsoever. No. And you know, the other thing I tell people, I said, everybody has a special interest. Everybody has right. something they're interested in. Do they paint the sidewalk for breast cancer awareness? What, what do they do? Do they paint it for, I don't know. What do you like to do? Running chess, whatever it is. Did they, did they ask you yeah. if you wanted your sidewalk painted for you Yeah, for I your have... special interest group? No, they didn't. Hey, I'd like the mural of Brownsville tech lives logo somewhere downtown, you know, right? <laughs> Exactly. Well, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, you know, there seems to be, you know, uh, an assault, and and, mm-hmm. and I think it's important that we that we that we are aware of that. You know, and that leads me to another area I wanted to talk about. Obviously, you know, um, you know, there has been quite a lot of changes here in the county, you know, primarily with the, with the, with SpaceX. And I mean, it is no secret that, uh, uh, this podcast is a, uh, is a follower of SpaceX. We, we report, uh, we cover SpaceX basically 24, seven, 365 days out of the year. I will say for anybody that, that thinks otherwise, Elon Musk does not pay for this podcast, even though I would not mind alone, you know, but <laughs> definitely um, that is that is something I want to clarify for some people that have doubts out there. But Elon is not a uh, contributor to this podcast, but we definitely cover SpaceX quite a bit and they've they've had a dramatic impact since 2014. Uh, they they have a a um, an employee count of over two thousand employees, and they appear to be expanding every day. Um, obviously, with that, there's definitely people uh, that are that either view them positively or negatively. Uh, and of course, you know there there is no doubt that you know, there is concerns out there when it comes to access to the beach, as well as the mm-hmm. some of the environmental concerns. And let me be very clear, there is no Democrat or or a Republican that wants a dirty beach. I think none of us do. I mean, as you Yeah, that's a nonpartisan issue. I mean, I mean you, cleaning up. Yeah, I mean, going back to the border cleanup, that that should have been a nonpartisan issue. Yeah. 
I mean, I mean, no Republican and no Democrat want a dirty beach. You and I have lived here right. all our lives. We've grown up, you know, fishing and hunting and stuff like that. Nobody wants that. But we also have to be responsible and 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 have a little bit of common sense that, you know, as I've said in the past on many podcasts, we've been launching rockets from the Florida coast for over 50 years and not a single alligator has ever been lost. And <laughs> so in my opinion, some of the concerns that have been brought up by some of these radical groups, primarily funded by the Sierra Club, uh, have been completely, you know, null and void. Uh, but what 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 are what is your um, viewpoint on SpaceX, uh, positively, negatively? Um, what's your viewpoint on that? Mm. Well, you know, I, I may have a little bit different of a viewpoint than most folks. I grew up out there. That is where my family, my mama's family farmed. And so I have seen it change dramatically since, what did you say? It was 2014 when he, 2014. when Elon came down here officially. Yeah. Um, so like with any change, there's some reservation there. Right. I understand the need for progress, but I'm going to be completely honest here. Space exploration has never been anything I was interested in. <laughs> it just, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if, if Elon walked up to me today and said, Hey, you want to, want to go up to space? I would be like, no, I don't. <laughs> I mean, it's cool that you're here, but no, I don't. I have no yeah. desire whatsoever. So to me, it's, it's already hard for me to kind of grasp that concept. I understand, right. like I said, progress is necessary for progress. Trust me. But, you know, as having grown up out there and seen um, how much it's changed and it's really starting to chip away at the rural aspect of Brownsville. I mean, Elon is developing his own city. That's right. In yeah. the rural aspects of Brownsville, or what used to be the rural aspect of Brownsville, but it is it's quickly, quickly becoming um, uh, modernized. Yeah. I mean, no doubt that, you know, I even heard last month, I think I saw a few pictures out there. There's actually now homes being built for executives. And yes, there some, are. There's been some postings recently with regards to um, schools uh, uh, being either provided or built down there. I don't know if it's necessarily. Well, the school has been there for a while as internally. It's very small. The employees choose. Um, I guess to have the option to allow their kids to be schooled in one of the facilities out there. I think right. that's been an option for a while though. Yeah. I think they have to pay though or something like that. I yeah. No, I think that I, I, yeah, I believe they do. Yes, sir. Yeah. But I, I don't know the ins and outs of it. I just know um, somebody that used to teach out there, I believe. Yeah. And it was a couple years ago. Yeah. Well, definitely you're right. I mean, there definitely is a change with regards to, you know, the rural areas. I'm very familiar with, some of the areas that you grew up in um, down on the east side of town. Uh, actually, my my uh, my grandparents and my family uh, actually uh, lived out there, you know, many, many years ago. Uh, so I, I definitely know what you're talking about, that there's definitely changes. I mean, there's even talk I heard recently of a hotel being built down there somewhere. I have heard that too. Yeah. yeah. So Let me give you an example. So there, there is um, an area out there off of Boca Chica that 
I, I'm assuming the city has paved it and it's now this giant parking parking lot where it's like a parking ride mm-hmm. for SpaceX employees. Um, and I believe Elon uh, contracts with the county and essentially leases it, mm. if I understood correctly. Well, back in the day, that used to be my great aunt and uncle's place. Wow. And the home was built with boards that came from Oklahoma on a train. Oh, wow. So Yeah. So to see that paved over, obviously, like you said, progress has to happen. I get it. Right. But couldn't they have made it something prettier than a parking lot? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's hard to see. It's hard to think that, um, that it has developed so quickly and changed so drastically. Right. I mean, I know that for a long time, you know, well, not for a long time, but at least a, a couple of years, you know, there was a certain faction around town that believed that Elon was going to just going to get up and go one day. And I kept on arguing with them, telling them, you guys, you guys are not seeing the forest beyond the trees. Uh, there's no way that Elon's just going to pack up and leave. Uh, just from a manufacturing standpoint, the cost of labor to produce yeah. rockets here in this area, even though they are high paying jobs is much mm-hmm. cheaper than building them in Florida or anywhere else in the Northeast for, for that. I mean, we've seen the Maquila industry prove that right. time and time again, that, you know, the reason there's Maquilas in this area is because the cost of labor is cheaper, not necessarily dirt poor cheaper, but it's cheaper than having to deal with the unions up North, you know, mm-hmm. But, you know, the scary part about that is, 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 you know, um, that argument's even gone away because sadly it's cheaper to, to manufacture in China than it is in, to manufacture in Mexico today. So, so, you know, I've heard that too. (laughs) I mean, for, for the one or two people you can pull into the factories in Mexico, you can pull in 15 from the farms in China, you know, and pay them 10 cents a day literally sad isn't it it is it is yeah so yeah so i i like i said i wanted to kind of get a little bit of 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 a feel for for spacex obviously they are a major employer in the area no doubt about that uh but let me ask you this you know first of all i want to correct it was my great great aunt but the second thing i want to ask though is you said two thousand jobs i think how many of them are actually local because i've driven out there and a lot of trucks are out of town. A lot of vehicles are out of town. Well, the number that I was given uh, about a year ago was that about 80% of the workforce is local. And there's about 20%. Okay. Yeah, that there's about 20% that are not. And those are typically engineering, uh, mm-hmm. engineering types. But for the most part, that was, that was the number that I was given. I do have, you know, a couple of friends down there. Uh that work directly with them. So Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't revisited what those numbers are, but uh, I mean, it, it definitely, uh, they, they are definitely a major employer and, and uh, it, it, I I don't know what the future holds with regards to, to the aerospace industry uh, down here, but obviously. Well, I think he's here to stay. I think he's here to stay. And I think that, you know, one of the things from a positive standpoint is it it kind of speaks to the to the possibilities of what our local workforce can do. I mean, not only can we mm-hmm. build widgets, but we can actually build interplanetary spacecraft that one day will you know travel to the moon and, and Mars. 
And that says a lot. I mean, that says a lot about what we can build. And hopefully that is a springboard to future, you know, economic growth and opportunity for folks who are local. Right. And I think that's something that everybody can agree on. We just, we want local, local economy to thrive and businesses and jobs. And I don't think that's a question. It's just the avenue of why, which we get there may be a little different depending upon your affiliation. Right. Absolutely. And, and like I said, I don't believe for one minute that, you know, uh, that any Democrat or Republican wants a dirty beach. None of us do. Right. I mean, right. We just want to make sure I think that Elon is, is abiding by the rules. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like, like we expect, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. so, you know, but we can't come up with frivolous lawsuits and, you know, ancestral claims by Indian tribes that are not even registered with the federal government. Uh, oh, that's a new one. Uh, I hadn't heard that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the one or two of the lawsuits, you know, that has come up, you know, to stop uh, SpaceX is by a, a, a local Indian tribe that claims to have ancestral, uh, that the area down there is is ancestral to them. The reality of it is that they, historically speaking, they were living across the border in Reynosa back in the 1800s. So I don't know, you know, that's about 50 to 75 miles away. So I don't know how they can claim ancestral lands. But, you know, once again, like I said, nobody wants a dirty beach. Nobody wants, you know, for, for beach access, you know, to be closed. I mean, but there's got to be some level of compromise there in my opinion you know so all right Mm. let's see here um so one of the things i wanted to kind of kind of talk about a little bit and this is usually a question that i throw out there uh i think i i asked i think i told you that i may ask this question is i want to talk a little bit about faith i want to talk about a little bit about faith and some some candidates are very comfortable talking about their faith. Others are not, and, and that's fine. But I wanted to find out how faith has played a role and continues to play a role in your daily life and your pursuit, and obviously your pursuit of elective office. Sure. Um, I wouldn't be doing, I wouldn't be running for this position if my faith wasn't at the forefront. Um, I, I mentioned it was about four or five years ago, 2019, when I got involved, 2020, when I really got involved. And it was because I felt like my values, my Christian values were being threatened here in the city of which I grew up in. And it became extremely real and raw to me um, when I became a mother and realized I have to, I'm raising my son in an environment that is not conducive to what I imagined. I mean, to what I was raised in locally. Um, and it's what really launched me into, um, getting involved locally. I didn't like it and I don't, I don't sit on the sidelines. So if I don't like something, I'm going to get involved and I'm going to speak up. And, um, there was a lot of things happening at the time. It was summer, uh, in June and the whole debacle of drag queen reading at the public library really disturbed me. Taxpayer money was being used for that. You know, that's the kind of stuff that originated in the bars. Keep it in the bars. Right. That was my belief. Keep it where adults, consenting adults go in there, but not children. Right. right. So um, that's kind of what launched me in the middle of all this. Uh, the petition, I created a petition, um, sent it to the mayor. The library went viral, received a lot of hate. 
um, which was really refreshing, actually empowered me even more because for all every bad comment I received about five to 10 positive ones saying, we're praying for you and we believe the same. Right. So, um, my faith, uh, definitely led me through all of that and was the very reason of which I chose to speak up. Right. And, you know, that's one thing we haven't really touched on Daniel is I think we're missing a really big voter base here locally as the church. Right. Because when I spoke up, it was the churches that reached out. Right. Right. But they've since subsided again. Where are they? We need them to be consistently speaking up and stepping into the public square. You know, you know the history of this country just as much as I do. This country was founded on faith right. and values. Right. And I um, I want to be very clear that I love everybody. Right. And it's not about, it's, it's not a hate, a hate thing. It's just about sticking with our traditional values and not trying to mess with our children. Right. And you know, we're talking about kids. It's my kids. Right. Consenting adults is a different thing. But when you start bringing in kids and I'm talking little kids. Oh, yeah. It's wrong. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that, you know, uh, that's where the importance of the candidates that are running for your school board come into play. A hundred percent. I can tell you firsthand, you know, my mom used to work in education for a while and I would hear some of the stories that she'd bring back of, you know, when they were attending these conferences and workshops and seminars. And back then, you know, some of the topics that they were talking about was like, uh, you know, you know, having, uh, you know, you know, education for five-year-olds, you know, I'm sorry, but you know, when I was five years old, I, w- I wasn't thinking of those things. I don't think most of us were. So, no. So what's changed? I mean, what's changed? But I think, I think what it boils down to, there seems to be indoctrination in play. Sure. It's and- the breakdown of the family. It's the breakdown of, um, it's the lack of involvement of the church. I mean, there's just so much to be, to attribute this all to, Yeah. but what we really need is for parents to step up and be parents to get involved and to ask your kids daily, what, what did you do in school today? But take it a step further. What did you learn? What did your teacher say? Let me see your homework. Let me see your textbooks, go to the meetings, you know, as a former public school teacher can assure you that parent involvement is at an all time low. It's probably even worse now than it was um, five years ago when I was teaching. Um, and when it came time to report card pickup, you know, I had a hundred, I can't even remember, 118 kids in eighth grade. And I'd get maybe 15 parents that would show up to pick up their kids' report card. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean. And it, it's devastating. And so you think about that, right? And you know, you know that parent involvement is at an all-time low. And you know that they're not going to be patrolling what their kids are watching. what they're listening to. I mean, my goodness, just in class alone. Some of the things I would catch these kids looking at, listening to reading was, was just purely trash. Right. Right. But to the parent that won't even show up and pick up the report card, you think they're really going to be asking what school's teaching? Right. We need the parents to get involved and take back the education system. Right. We've let the government take it over and my goodness, 
Yeah. When you look at what the government's taken over. Yeah. Can't say I'm exactly hopeful. Yeah. Well, definitely that's why it's important to to look at your local school districts as well, you know. And I know those yeah. are nonpartisan. I know that those are nonpartisan per se, but yeah, but ask those, those tough questions. I don't care. I don't yeah. care if it's nonpartisan and they say, oh, that has nothing to do with me. Yeah, it does. Because at the end of the day, you're the one that makes the contracts for the educational material. And you're the one that has access to the representatives and stuff. We, I mean, we all have access to the representatives, you know, your state board of education, but um, they, they are the, the safeguard to the school, essentially. Right. And when the parents step in there, they have to listen to the parents. And the yeah. parents get involved and say, I don't want my kids reading that. My kid's yes. not going to read that. Right. Well, they have to listen. As, I, as I've said many times, if we don't look out for our kids, no one will. That's just. Oh, the government will. And they'll take your kids. <laughs> they, they will take them and teach them exactly what they want to teach them. So, yeah, it's time that parents wake up. Yeah. And, it's, and it doesn't just start when they, when they start school. It starts now when they're one, when they're newborns. Yeah. Two, three, get yourself in that. Get yourself in that mindset that I am the one solely responsible for my child and I'm going to look out for my child yeah. and I'm going to speak up wherever it may be. Right. Well, one thing I want I, I forgot to ask you is, do you have a, a primary opponent for the primary election or no? I believe I do. Yes. Okay. I just was wondering, mm -hmm. cause I, I, I haven't seen anything from anybody else and so i was kind of i was kind of wondering about that i said i wonder if she's well then there you go that speaks volumes <laughs> right there okay well i just i wasn't sure I, I wasn't sure so i just wanted to ask that and by the way when do when do early elections start and when do uh when is the general election february 20th begins early voting election day is march 5th all righty okay and so yeah. on, on the other side, on the Democratic side, there's also somebody <clears throat> running for, for their chair as well, correct? You know what? I haven't even looked um, because I, I, I obviously am not going to pull the Democrat ticket, right? right? But right. I think I saw something about Jared Hakama. Is a Democrat chair? Oh, is I think. Still the chair? Huh. I think. Wow. I think. I'm not even. Yeah, I believe it's Jared. But I, I don't know if, if their election is up or not. I haven't or seen not. too much okay. on that. All right. So, but here's the thing I want to be very clear to anybody watching. Um, in order to vote for your Republican candidates, you have to ask for a Republican ballot. Don't go in there and say, Hey, I want to vote for Deborah. They're going to know who Deborah is. They're going to have, you're going to have to say, I want a Republican ballot. Okay. And then, yeah, it, it's, it's something on all of my literature because people think that it's, um, you just get to walk in and vote uh, no, you got to state whether you're pulling a Democrat ballot this time for primaries only, okay. um, Democrat ballot or Republican ballot. Okay. All right. So that's, that's to vote good for me, Republican ballot. That's good to know because I've heard a few horror stories of people, you know, ended up being issuing one ballot and they didn't want to do that. And I even heard somebody not being able to return it. Not that they marked anything on it, but. Uh, mm, yeah, no, be very clear when you walk in. They should get you at the door and they should say. Uh, Republican or Democrat, and you tell them Republican. All righty. Well, we've definitely gone for almost an hour, uh, despite some of the audio problems that we had earlier, <laughs> uh, which I apologize for. But it was definitely um, a great opportunity to get to know you and the viewers to uh, get to know you as well. Uh, I will remind everybody that uh, 
We are uh, broadcasting across nine social media platforms in total. Uh, that includes Facebook Live, YouTube, uh, Twitch, and X, formerly known as Twitter. And then for those of you that don't catch the live edition, we uh, actually upload the broadcast over to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, and Instagram uh, uh, as well. So uh, if you didn't catch us tonight, you can definitely catch us tomorrow morning on those other platforms as well. Uh, once again, it was my great uh, honor and pleasure to have Ms. Deborah Bell. She is running for the primary for the uh, uh, Cameron County GOP chair. Any final uh, closing thoughts, Deborah? No, I just want to thank you so much for taking an interest in local politics and inviting me on the show. And I hope to um, everybody takes a moment, marks on their calendar, February 20th for early voting and then March 5th for election day. Uh, it is, it is your civic duty and I hope you exercise it. Yep. There's no doubt that every one of us has a responsibility to go out and vote. And we definitely wish you the best of luck here in March. And, um, you're invited back at any time, whether you're running or otherwise. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. I'll take you up on that offer. Local That's politics is a passion and I love chatting about it. And by the way, if you meet some of your CD34 candidates out there that have got my invitation, uh, nudge them a little for me because I'm still waiting for some responses. <laughs> I will most certainly do that. All righty, Debbie. Well, I definitely enjoyed having you on tonight and, uh, we will talk to you soon. Everybody, once again, this was a special edition of Live 270. We did have a, a special um, podcast scheduled for tomorrow, which, which dealt with the border crisis, but we're actually moving that uh, to next week pending uh, guest availability. So uh, be out on the lookout for that. And as you all know, we are covering the NFL playoffs as well on uh, the spin zone. We're transitioning from the uh, Cowboys spin zone over to uh, a larger array covering the entire uh, playoff teams uh, that are out there right now vying for a uh, NFC and an AFC divisional spot. So stay tuned. I guess it's a good thing. I didn't yep. bring my Cowboys memes, huh? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, uh, stay tuned for those episodes coming over the weekend, and uh, we will see you soon. Everybody, thanks for watching. Debbie, thank you for being on the show. And thank we'll you for having me. Soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>